by your Holy Spirit uh, and help us to go deep in your word and help us to really begin to apply it, implement it in our lives uh, by your grace. And I pray your spirit would rest on me so I could bring your word today to your people here in this place. And we pray it all in Christ's name. Amen. David writes here and he says, Give ear to my words, O Lord. Consider my groaning. Give attention to the sound of my cry, my King and my God. For to you do I pray. O Lord, in the morning you hear my voice. In the morning I prepare a sacrifice for you and watch. For you are not a God who delights in wickedness. Evil may not dwell with you. The boastful shall not stand before your eyes. You hate all evildoers. You destroy those who speak lies. The Lord abhors the bloodthirsty and deceitful man. But I, through the abundance of your steadfast love, will enter your house. I will bow down toward your holy temple in the fear of you. Lead me, O Lord, in your righteousness because of my enemies. Make your way straight before me. For there is no truth in their mouth. Their inmost self is destruction. Their throat is an open grave. They flatter with their tongue. Make them bear their guilt, O God. Let them fall by their own counsels. Because of the abundance of their transgressions, cast them out, for they have rebelled against you. But let all who take refuge in you rejoice. Let them ever sing for joy and spread your protection over them, that those who love your name may exult in you. For you bless the righteous, O Lord. You cover him with favor as with a shield. And then to... Paul's second letter to the Corinthians, the very last chapter, chapter 13, and the very last uh, few verses. Paul writes here, finally, brothers and sisters, rejoice, aim for restoration, comfort one another, agree with one another, live in peace, and the God of love and peace will be with you. Greet one another with the holy kiss. All the saints greet you. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. May God bless to us this reading from his holy word. Well, I tell you, it's, uh, it's crazy how things are unfolding before us. Uh, just when you thought Brexit couldn't get any worse, <laughs> it seems to get worse. Uh, and, you know, and it really doesn't matter which side of the whole issue you were on, whether you're a Remainer or a Lever, it's a mess. Uh, there, there's nothing that's not a mess about this whole situation. And, uh, and, and, and it's really striking to me. I thought it would probably had gotten about as worse as it could get. And then with all the votes yesterday, I thought, it's worse. How can it possibly be worse than the worst that I thought it could get? Uh, it, it's definitely worse, and none of us have a clue of what's going to happen. I mean, nobody really does, uh, and it's, it's kind of amazing. Uh, and all the kinds of things that are happening right now, I mean, if you think about it, just in the last, uh, the last week with the whole Brexit stuff, I mean, that's one thing, and certainly how the impact that that has on our understanding of our government, uh, how it functions, uh, and uh, even even the most ardent pro-government supporters, whether you're supporting the conservatives or Labors or uh, Lib Dem or or uh, the Scottish SNP, you, you know all of it just seems to be nobody 
is really doing their job. And you, you look at that and you say, it's crazy. But the other thing that's happened, and, I, and, and it's really striking to me, is what's happened with Boeing. You, you might know the tragedy now, the Ethiopian air crash and the loss of lives there. And it's the second airplane of a particular style. It's a brand new plane that's crashed from Boeing. And all of those planes have been grounded. And it's interesting because the feeling that I personally have, and I imagine that a lot of other people have this too, is that can we really trust the planes we're flying on? So what we're going through, we're just like, can we really trust our government? Can we really trust our travel? Can we really trust banking or anything like that? I mean, that's all been undermined a long time ago. Uh, can we really trust the present financial system? I, it's really what's been happening here has undermined trust more and more and more across, across the board throughout our lives. And, and I think this is just indicative of these tough times that we're going to be traveling through. And I think these tough times are going to last. It's just not a brief thing. Uh, I think it's going to be an extended period of time that we're going through this, an extended period of challenges, and none of us know what the outcome is going to be. Uh, I have said, and I do think, you know, 10 years from now, we probably won't be talking about Brexit like we're talking about it now. Uh, one way or another, it's going to be mostly a done deal. Uh, but we just don't know. Uh, there's a lot of uncertainty when we go through tough times, and there's a lot of undermining the things that we've come to trust in uh, so much. The, the other area, too, by the way, is, of course, Christianity. And now some of the revelations that are coming out more and more and more, not only out of Roman Catholicism, uh, and I'm not anti-Catholic by any stretch, but, of course, that the child abuse and pedophilia and homosexuality is far more widespread in Roman Catholicism than anybody recognized. Uh, but, you know, it's not just the Roman Catholics. Other churches and other movements and things are going through all these revelations. They're kind of undermining things. And so the question comes... How do we get through this? And that's really what we've been talking about, uh, and we'll talk about for quite a few more weeks here, is how do we travel through these kinds of tough times? Uh, and the encouragement for today is one of the ways that we travel through tough times is we learn how to rejoice. We have to choose to rejoice. And when Paul says, finally, brothers and sisters, rejoice, I think that's such a powerful statement because here Paul has just spent 13 chapters giving instruction, uh, telling them about how to live, talking about all the difficult times that he's gone through, uh, all the challenges that he's faced himself. And after all of that, he says, finally, in light of everything else, when you think about all of this stuff, you need to rejoice. You need to rejoice. And this command, it's a command for us to rejoice. It's not a rejoice when you feel like it, do this when you have a chance. It is a command for us to do, and this is really important. I think for Paul, it was probably one of the key things for Paul to travel through the tough times that he traveled through, is he was a guy who learned how to rejoice. But the question is, how do we do that? How do we do that? In order to do that, we need to know the basis for our rejoicing, as Christians, uh, as well as we need to know how do we practice it. What are some ways that we practice rejoicing? We practice rejoicing. And rejoice, uh, to rejoice means to find gladness or to choose to be glad. 
That's really the essence of what rejoice is all about. No real complex definition. But when we look at Psalm 5, it's such a powerful psalm about rejoicing. Because here in the psalm, David is going through tough times. He's dealing with some struggles here. It's, it's absolutely clear what he's going through. He's going through these tough times. He's dealing with tough times. And he's saying at the end of this psalm, okay, I want everybody should rejoice. All God's people should rejoice. So how can, what's the basis on which he says he wants to rejoice? Well, first of all, he says in those closing verses that God is a refuge for us. God is a refuge for us. Now, this means that we can go to God, and even when we cannot trust our government, and we cannot trust our church leaders, and we cannot trust the companies that get us around, and we cannot trust uh, other institutions, we still can trust God. We still can take refuge in God. We still can choose to trust God and use God as our hiding place. Use God as, as the one that we go to and the one that we talk to, the one we say, God, I'm going through all this stuff and I'm running to you. God is a place where a person to whom we can go, where we know we can trust him, even if we don't understand everything he does, we know that God is ultimately trustworthy. And how do we know that? We know that because Jesus died on the cross. And Jesus' death and resurrection is the validation for the utter trustworthiness of God. And so God is our refuge. The second thing he says is God, God's protection is over us. That doesn't mean that bad things won't happen to us. Bad things sometimes do happen to Christians. Uh, it's actually prophesied that bad things will happen to us. But God does protect us. I've been through many different situations in my life, many times where, where I was challenged and I was stretched and I felt vulnerable and I felt weak. And time after time, God's proved himself trustworthy to protect me. So we can be conscious that God has protection for us and will protect us and keep us safe all the way into eternity. And then David says that the third reason is that God wants to bless the righteous. And this is really key. God's blessing is not promised to everybody. God's blessing is promised for the righteous. Now, what are, who are the righteous? The righteous are people who are living in right relationship with God and with one another. That's the, that's the be-all and end-all of righteousness. It always happens in relationship. You can't be righteous outside the context of relationship. And you need to be living in right relationship, first with God, as God has prescribed in his word, and then right relationship with other people, again, as God has prescribed in his word. And if we're living in that right relationship, which is empowered by Jesus Christ and his death and resurrection, if we're living in that right relationship, then there's a promise of God's blessing in our lives, and God will keep his promise. And the, the fourth basis for rejoicing, according to Paul here, uh, uh, David here, excuse me, is that God's favor functions like a shield for us. God's favor is over our lives as we're walking with him in Jesus Christ, and that favor is a shield around us. There have been many times when people have tried to hurt me, and the favor of God acted like a shield in my life and protected me. There are many times people tried to damage me, and God's favor 
protected me. Uh, and so we can rejoice because we know that God is a refuge for us. He's protection over us. He's determined to bless us as we're righteous and live righteously. And God's favor is a shield around us that empowers us to live day by day. And the idea of shield is where you're out on the battlefield. So it's not a shield like I'm going to huddle and I've got something that's, that's over me like a tent. The shield functions when we're out in the battlefield. Now, what's the battlefield? It's, it's, it's our business. It's our workplace. It's what we're doing on the streets. That's the battlefield. And God's favor is around us at that time. I, I remember some demonized guy coming up to me a number of years ago, and clearly was, he was demonically manifesting, but he came up to me and he said, the favor of God is really on your life. And I said, yeah, I know. <laughs> and uh, it wasn't appropriate to engage that and cast that out at that stage. But, uh, uh, but it's, it's something, there's a reality, even though we don't see it, even though sometimes we don't feel it, the favor of God is with us. And it's extraordinary what God will do for us. So that's kind of our basis. According to David, that's our basis for rejoicing. How do we practice this? How do we engage in rejoicing? There's a few things he says. First of all, we need to sing for joy. Singing is one of the best ways for us to rejoice. Put on good music. Put on some good hopping music, uh, worshiping the Lord, and sing your heart out. Uh, sing in the shower. Uh, you know, put some earplugs in so you don't hear yourself. Uh, and you keep other people from hearing you. Oh, no, that doesn't work that way. But anyway, uh, whatever, sing for joy. Uh, the a second way that uh, David suggests here is we need to learn how to love God's name. Now, how do we do that? That means that we want to get to know who God is. We want to go deeper with God. We want to focus on God. Um, we want to, to get to know who, who he really is. I mean, when I was first dating Karen, and I, you know, really fell madly in love with her. I, I'm the kind of guy who just kind of uh, walked down the street. Oh, I love Karen. Karen is so great. I love Karen. Maybe one day she'll be my mate. I, you know, I, I do that kind of stuff. It's kind of silly. Uh, but what I, I would just, I'd love to say her name, you know. And it was part of the way that I loved her. And, and you know, just focusing on the name of Jesus, uh, loving the name Jesus is another way to rejoice. Because it takes our minds off ourselves, and put our minds on the one who is around us and protecting us. And then David suggests that we might exult in God. Now, how do you exult in God? Exulting is boasting. It's gloating. You know, so the idea, it, right now, it's politically incorrect for us as Christians to gloat. But frankly, I like to gloat. You know, Jesus is God, not Allah. Jesus is God, not uh, Shiva or Vishnu. Jesus is God, certainly not Buddha. You know, and I'm going to gloat in the fact that my Jesus is the one true living Lord. He is God. He is the sovereign Lord of the universe. There is no one like him. And so that's gloating. That's exulting in God, learning how to gloat and celebrate the fact that our God is the God. He is the one true living God, and we learn how to rejoice in him. Now, I wouldn't suggest you do that in the face of a Muslim, uh, especially if you're in Bangladesh or something like that. That uh, can be kind of dangerous. But still in all, we need, to, we need to gloat in the fact that our God is the God. Uh, and then, obviously, the last thing is to live righteously. If God's going to bless the righteous, then we must live righteously. And there's actually a rejoicing that comes 
when we're in right relationship. Like when I'm in right relationship with my wife, I'm happy. I celebrate our marriage. If I get out of right relationship, it takes out a lot of my joy. And usually I can know that I'm out of right relationship when she gives me the look. You know, there's a, there's a, you're kind of going outside of right relationship look, you know. And so if I get the look, then there's something and it, it steals my joy. It takes my joy away. I can't rejoice in that. But if we're living to the best of our ability in right relationship with the people around us and in right relationship with the Lord, that releases in us a joy that enables us to rejoice. So we sing for joy, we love God's name, we exult, we gloat in God, and we live righteously, and these are ways that we rejoice. And it's always essential that we have to remember the only way we do this. It's not a work. It's empowered as we focus on Jesus and are filled with the Holy Spirit. If we're not focused on Jesus and filled with the Spirit, it's impossible for us to rejoice. But if we're focused on Jesus and filled with the Spirit then rejoicing will be a natural outgrowth of who we are in Jesus Christ. Father God, thank you so much for loving us, for giving us the ability to rejoice even in the midst of really tough, difficult times. Uh, Lord, help us to learn how to do that and grow in that rejoicing more and more and more in the power of your Holy Spirit. We just love you and praise you, and I pray that you'd be our vision, be the focus of our lives. Be our Lord, our Savior, and our God, for we love you and praise you. In Jesus' name, amen.